today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. and I are called not to be bench warmers or pew warmers or chair warmers. We're called to be living participants in what God is doing at this place at this time. And God has called you to himself. If you are a believer this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's called you more than just to save you. He's called you to be that living participant within his kingdom's work right now and to have an impact and to have an effect on the world that's around us. Let's think about a sports team for a minute. They all have many positions that make up the team. Imagine if the players decided that they wanted to be on the team, but they just wanted to sit on the bench and never play. It would make it very difficult for the team to have success or accomplish what needs to be done. Today, we hear from Pastor David that the same is true for us as Christians. We need to be active participants. It's not just about the jersey or being on the roster. We need to have an active part in helping the team accomplish the task at hand. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Full Commitment. There's a lot of classic literature out there. And I know that some of you are voracious readers. You, you read all kinds of things and more than just the uh, Sunday paper. You, you love books. You love musty old books with the feel of paper and you know, all this electronic stuff. You say, yeah, I don't even want that. I want, I want to feel you know, the, the, the dead tree in my, in my hand so that I can read through it. And there's a lot of books and things that, that no doubt have impacted your life in, in a very powerful way. I'd like to share with you as we get into the study this morning, one outside of the Word of God that has impacted my life in a powerful way. How many of you ever heard the story of the little red hen? It impacted my life powerfully, okay? Uh, You think I'm joking, but you know the story of the little red hen. Little red hen in the farmyard, she finds a little cluster of uh, kernels of wheat, and so she comes up with this great idea. Hey, I'll go and plant this wheat, and then later we can, we can harvest it, we can grind it all, we can process it, we can make our own homemade bread. And so she goes to all of her friends. She goes to the, the pig there in, in the barnyard, and she says, little pig, would you help me plant the wheat? And the pig says, no, no, I don't want to do that. She goes to the cat. Cat, would you help me plant the wheat? And the cat says, no, no, I I don't want to bother myself with that. And she goes to a little lamb, and the lamb, would you help me plant my wheat? And 
the lamb says, no, no, I don't want to bother with that. So the little red hen, she goes and she plants the wheat all by herself. And then it comes time to water the wheat. And so she, again, goes through all of her friends there in the barnyard and asks each one of them, would you help me and water the wheat for me? No, we don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Came time to harvest the wheat. Hey, it's time to harvest the wheat. Would you come and, and be a part of the harvesting of the wheat? And the, uh, again, the piglet says, no, 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 I, I really don't care to do that. Went to the cat. No, I I don't want to do that. Went to the lamb. No, I don't want to do that. So she went and harvested all the wheat herself, brought it in, and it came time then to grind the wheat and prepare it in order to make something with it. Went through all of her friends. None of them wanted to assist her. So finally, she went ahead, ground the wheat, processed it all herself. Then she made these loaves of bread, and it just filled the entire farm with the smell of this fresh baked bread. Then she went to her friends. Do you want to help me eat it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And she says, no, you didn't help me in any other part of this. And so you're not going to be a partaker of it. You're not going to be able to be a partaker of the goodness of it because you weren't a partaker of the work in it. Guess what? Next time she went to plant, guess who was there to help her? It was the little piglet, the cat, and the little lamb because they saw the value of that work. Now, you wonder how in the world does this fit in our study this morning? Well, it it seems I'm working on a theme here. At least the Lord is working on this theme in my life as we've been going through this study in the Gospel of Luke, and we're in chapter 5 this morning. Last week, I brought to you a reference of a football game, and that at a partic- any particular football game, whether it be a, a college game or a professional game, there are the detractors, there are the observers. That's the ones that stay at home and watch it, okay? That's the observers. Then there are the ones that are the supporters. The supporters actually get into the arena. They pay the price to at least get into the stadium to watch the game. Then there's the participants. The participants were the ones that were out on the field. And then there are the winners. And the winners weren't the ones with the highest score. The winners were the ones that gave all that they had through the game. And win or lose at that particular game, because they know that they gave their all, they themselves are winners. It's speaking to me as we've gone through this series, this whole idea of commitment of actually being a living participant within the kingdom's work, that you and I are called not to be bench warmers or pew warmers or chair warmers. We're called to be living participants in what God is doing at this place at this time. And God has called you to himself. If you are a believer this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's called you more than just to save you. He's called you to be that living participant within his kingdom's work right now and to have an impact and to have an effect on the world that's around us. Many have taken a step of faith to receive Christ. But not all have made a full commitment of their lives in order that Christ might shine through their lives. And that's what I want to look at this morning. We look here in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And as we're moving along here in the gospel, we find out that Jesus is continually getting busier and busier with ministry. The crowds are really coming at him all the time, and he's having a hard time actually getting away with it. Some of these areas and some of the people that he ministers to, they seem to be really welcoming, really, really gracious for all that he's saying, while there's others that either reject him totally or they simply try to take what they can get without any kind of a commitment to him. And yes, 
as I shared, we see that in our culture today. We see that within the church today, don't we? Some that will flat out reject the truth. The truth of the hope of the gospel is presented to them over and over again, but they never ever make a commitment to Jesus Christ. They never receive Christ into their life. In essence, they reject the truth. Then there's others who will receive the truth, and they definitely want to, want to have the assurance of salvation, and yet there's no real commitment in their lives in a daily, in a moment-by-moment basis to live their lives to the glory of Christ. And then, yes, there are those who receive the truth, and then they endeavor to walk in that truth on a regular basis. If I were to come up to you tonight, and, and most logical-minded, most, most thinking people would respond in, in the correct way, if I were to come to you this morning and say, if you were to die today, how many of you want to go to an everlasting, tormenting hell? And you, you, any thinking person would think, absolutely not. But any thinking person person, regardless of what their real scriptural understanding is, is if I were to say, how many of you want to go to an everlasting, eternal presence with God Almighty to have eternal life in the blessed presence of your creator God? How many of you want to go to heaven when you die? There's no doubt if you're thinking at all, you would raise your hand, absolutely. But if I came to you and I asked a third question, I said, how many of you are willing to die today to all of your plans, all of your purposes in life? You're willing to give up everything that you have or ever will have so that every day you're not living your life. You're living the life that Christ desires to live in you. You're willing to stop in your tracks every bit and every purpose of your life and you want to die daily for Christ, fewer would raise their hands than simply the ones that want to get to heaven. That's what I'm speaking about this morning, is the difference between a step of faith and a full commitment of a life to Jesus Christ. We're going to begin looking at two particular events in the ministry of Jesus, two separate healing events. We're we're going to begin this week, we're going to look at the one that was healed of leprosy, an individual that does have faith, and we'll look at that in a moment. And then next week, we're going to finish with, with looking at the healing of a lame man that was brought to Jesus by his believing friends. You probably remember the story, if you remember any of the stories in the New Testament, these friends that brought the lame man and they couldn't get to Jesus and they had to rip open the roof to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. We'll look at that next week. That was a a major event right there. Christ healed both of these, and we're going to look at the differences in them, the differences of the individuals, and I believe some lessons that we can learn from each one. At the beginning of Luke chapter 5, we understand that Jesus is still in the Galilean area. Where exactly, we don't know. He's still in that area of northern Israel. It was at the end of chapter 4 there at Luke that Luke tells us that Jesus went throughout the area of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Well, let's look now at the beginning of the passage where we're at in, in Luke 5 in verse 12. And follow along with me if you would. And it happened when he was in a certain city that when Jesus was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw him. 
And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering of your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. Here we actually see a couple of problems here. We see a man who is full of leprosy, and yet he's in the city. If you know anything about uh, the disease of leprosy and the time of the Bible was written in that, in that whole culture, that if you had leprosy, you weren't allowed in town. No, you had to stay outside of town. Many were in leper colonies or their homes. Everything was, was put way out of town in order that people would not come into contact with them. The second thing that we see is this man comes and he literally falls right in front of Jesus. Again, for the leper, they, they weren't allowed to be around anyone else. As a matter of fact, they were required literally that if someone was coming down the path along with them, that they would step off the path and they would cry out, unclean, 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 in order to be able to warn that one coming so that they wouldn't get affected with the disease. During this time frame in history, this disease, uh, again, just uh, again, was so powerful and so rampant in, in lives of people. The people were claimed or, or positioned at or put in the situation of being unclean. They weren't allowed to be in society. They weren't allowed to intermix with others. This is where we see this situation here. And when Luke, who is Dr. Luke, you remember the Apostle Paul speaks of Luke the physician. Luke had some understanding of medical issues. And it's only in Luke's gospel record where we read that this man was full of leprosy. Mark and Matthew say that he had leprosy, but Luke says, no, he was full of leprosy. And he gives us an understanding that this man's leprosy was well advanced. It had spread probably throughout his whole body. There was no denying the fact of the disease that was all over his body. He knew it. Everyone who saw him knew it. So this one, full of leprosy, he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And again, his statement was a statement full of faith. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I look at this and I think the, the very boldness of his actions, the fact to be where he was at the time that he was, the, the, the action of actually coming up before Christ and putting himself in close proximity, and then the very words that he speaks, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. All of these were major steps of faith in this man. He was cast out by society, and yet he comes boldly to Jesus. He had no other options. He had no other hope. But here he comes, and he casts all of his hope on Jesus of Nazareth. Interesting aspect of leprosy. In those biblical times, both Old Testament and New, leprosy was pretty much considered a curse by God. Leprosy was considered, again, as the consequences of sin in an individual's life. The cruelty of the disease, again, was magnified by the fact that it wouldn't kill the individual outright. No, it simply left them to suffer as the tissues and, and their fingers and their limbs continued to degenerate. And again, their physical body just grew worse and worse and more grotesque the longer that they lived. The disease would first come against the, the nervous system so that, again, it would, it would destroy the nerves so you wouldn't feel pain. 
And so any injury that happened to you, you, you wouldn't really realize what had happened. And from that kind of a thing, without sensing pain or sensing touch, they were more prone to injury. And when those injuries took place, infections would then come into play. And, and so oftentimes, the, the individual with leprosy, they, w- they would begin to lose fingers and thumbs and maybe even whole limbs because of the infections that would come. To view someone with advantage advanced leprosy was to actually see the living dead. And pretty much anybody with full or advanced leprosy in their lives, pretty much anybody that comes to them, they would probably turn their head just in, in, in disgust or in fear because of, again, the, the, the grossness of that disease within their lives. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see very few who were ever cured of the disease of leprosy. Oh, except in the time of Christ, as Christ healed several in the Gospels. But if you remember in the Old Testament, Miriam, the sister of Moses, she was struck with leprosy, and it was there just for a moment, for a while, until Moses prayed for his sister, and then the Lord healed her almost as quickly as the leprosy came. You remember Naaman, the the Syrian, a, a Gentile man, Again, he had had leprosy and was sorting for all kinds of cures, but could find no cures at all. And someone told him to go to Elisha, the prophet in Israel. So again, this this Syrian comes with his whole entourage with all kinds of gifts to give to Elisha in order that he might be healed. And Elisha says, well, go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And remember, Naaman says, are you kidding me? The Jordan River, that muddy mess of a thing that I passed on, on, on my way here. We, we've got better rivers than that in Syria. And, and just in disgust, he left until one of the young gals within his entourage says, why, why, you've come all this way. Why not at least try it? And so Naaman comes and goes to the Jordan River. And he dips himself one and nothing's happening. He dips himself twice and this is foolish. Why am I here in this river? Dips himself a third time and a fourth time. I knew that this was ridiculous. I should have gone back to Syria. They've got better rivers. This is just a muddy little stream here, this Jordan River. The fifth time, the sixth time, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. How embarrassing. I can just imagine these thoughts going through Naaman's mind. And then the seventh time, he dips into that muddy river and comes out. His flesh is healed. Why seven times? Why the Jordan? I believe it speaks of, again, obedience more than anything else. Obedience to what God was calling for him to do. Do you believe that I can heal you? Yes, I do. Are you willing to obey? At first he wasn't, but then he did, and God healed him. There was absolutely no known cure at that point in time for this wretched disease. And yet this man here in Luke comes to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean. Then we see the Savior. He, he, he purposefully reaches out and he touches the one that all of society says, this one is untouchable. And yet Jesus reaches out and touches him. Do you see the, the strength in that? Jesus could have just as easily said, be healed, while the man was still 15, 20 feet away from him. Jesus could have very easily just spoke that man's healing and and it would have been done. Jesus could have told him just as Elisha did, hey, go dip yourself in the Jordan River and God will heal you. But he didn't. Jesus, for whatever reason, he actually reached out and he 
touched that one. And I believe as I look at that, his touch showed the compassion of Jesus for that man. When was the last time that someone had purposefully touched this man or cared enough even about this man to stop and personally minister to his needs? I believe that the touch of Jesus brought also comfort to his life. Now, I look around the room, and I know that some of you are not real touchy-feely types. Some of you are more so than the others. Some of you appreciate a good hug or a good firm handshake. Some don't. Hey, just a wave is good. But when you are in a situation like this, when you've lived a great portion of your life, no doubt, separated from human touch because of this leprosy, it begins to take a toll on the psyche. I believe it, it, it dries the spirit up. And for Jesus to just come and lay a hand on this man who probably had not had human touch for many years within his life. I believe that it brought comfort to him also. And then also we know that his touch brought immediate healing, immediate healing. The man's life was changed in an instance. This man's faith had now become substance rather than simply hope. He now has within his life evidence that can be seen. His life had been touched by Jesus, and Jesus had made him clean. There's no doubt about it. His family, his friends, his community look at him and says, you've been touched by Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, can family, friends, and community look at your life and know that you've been touched by Jesus? Is there any kind of change in your life that's so evident within your life that the people who know you or have known you prior to the point of coming to faith in Christ would be able to look at you and say, wow, there's something different about her life. There's something that's changed about his life. Or simply to say, within the culture that we live, you don't live like everyone else. You don't respond like the rest of the culture does. Your humor isn't the same as everyone else. You don't get involved with the same things that the rest of the culture gets involved with. There's something different about you. Can the world tell that you've been touched by Jesus? This man was healed of leprosy. And Jesus then charged him. It says there he, he charges him to tell no one to tell no one in verse 14, but go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering of your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. You would think, well, why not tell everybody? Why not, man, just make it known, just spread it out. Wow, look at me. I had full leprosy and now I'm completely healed. Why wouldn't they do that? Well, first of all, I believe that Jesus wanted to make certain that this man fulfilled the requirement of the law. There was a law that said that once you're healed of the leprosy, you had to go to the priest, and there was a ceremony that you needed to go through. There was an offering for your cleansing. This process to go through in order that this man might be able to once again join into society. It was the requirement that he needed to go through to go to the priest. The priest had to confirm the healing. He had to examine him thoroughly because, as I said earlier, for the most part, leprosy was, was an incurable disease, and it would have taken a miracle. So first, conform to the law of God. Show yourself to the priest. But secondly, 
I believe that Jesus charged him to tell no one because he understood that the more people that received healing and received deliverance, the more the focus would be just for that, rather than the focus to the commitment of his teachings. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.